What's up, Bandive crew? James here. And before we jump into this episode, I wanted to ask you a question. Have you ever wished there was a way to connect with me as well as other listeners in real time? I have the solution. I finally got around to making a Bandive Discord server, which is people have been asking me for years and I just wasn't listening. I wish I had done this sooner because I couldn't be happier with the results. It's been fantastic. And we would love to see you join us. We have discussions about the music business, gear, the podcast, and a general channel as well. You can join the discussion now by visiting bandhive.rocks slash discord. Again, that is bandhive.rocks slash discord. Welcome to episode 112 of the Bandhive Podcast. You're listening to the Bandhive Podcast, the number one online resource for DIY bands to learn about the music business and touring. If you want to turn your band into a lean, mean touring machine, you're in the right place. Now, let's get this show on the road. It is time for another episode of the Bandhive Podcast. My name is James Cross, and I'm here with another solo episode. And this week, talking about something that was actually spurred by a conversation on Twitter with my friend Todd. He's been on a couple episodes, number 81, from self-producing artist to full-time producer, Todd Barrage of Theatria, and number 102, releasing a song every week, which is, of course, also with Todd Barrage of Theatria. And essentially what started it is that he covered AFI Sing the Sorrow and he uploaded it to YouTube and it was blocked by the label because it was so good that the label thought he had uploaded the original version of Sing the Sorrow rather than a cover. And he disputed that copyright claim and won the dispute only to have it claimed again a few days later where it then said if he disputes it again, he could potentially get a copyright strike. And this brings about the murky world of copyright and intellectual property in general. And they can be extremely convoluted and confusing, especially in the music world, because we're dealing with two different copyrights. And this is the problem that Todd ran up against. Now, he understands this, and I understand this, but many people, even in the industry, don't understand that there are two distinct copyrights that you can claim when it comes to music. We'll get into all of this as we go through the episode. But first, I just want to make this very clear. I'm not an attorney. This is not legal advice. If you need legal advice, please contact an attorney, preferably an intellectual property attorney, if this is the area that you need help in. I have an attorney that I trust who handles intellectual property stuff. So if you do need one and you're in the U.S., please let me know. I'd be happy to put you in touch. Just shoot me an email, james at bandhive.rocks, and I can introduce you to Doug. He handled the Bandhive trademark and was a pleasure to work with, and he is a musician himself. So again, if you need an attorney, please let me know, and I can put you in touch with one. But do not take what I'm saying as legal advice. This is simple, factual information from what I know about copyright. This is not legal advice. Now, when it comes to intellectual property, there are a few different broad categories that we need to differentiate before we dive into copyright specifically. The first one, which really isn't applicable here, unless maybe you design guitars or some other kind of gear or anything inventive, if you are a tinkerer, maybe this one applies to you, it's a patent. And a patent handles inventions. That's basically all it is. It says, you invented this, you have the rights to profit from this. If you are creative, 
with building things or designing things, a patent would apply to you. But we're not going to go deep into that area today because for most people listening to this episode, it's not going to be relevant at all. On the other hand, what will be relevant to you is a trademark. Now, a trademark and a copyright are two distinct things. I often see them confused, but they are very, very different. Trademark applies to things that involve your brand. So your name, your logo, anything that is recognizable as being you. McDonald's is a trademark. Walmart is a trademark. The Golden Arches is a trademark. Walmart's little star symbol or sun symbol, whatever that is, that is most likely a trademark. Now, to get a trademark, you need to use it and be the only organization, whether you are an individual or a company, using that mark in your field. So if you are Acme Incorporated and you sell fuel, there could be another Acme Incorporated that sells stuffed animals. Maybe they're filled with TNT, maybe not. Who knows? Ask Wiley Coyote. But either way, there could be two Acmes. Just like there are in real life multiple Deltas. And we're not talking about the Delta variant here. We're talking about Delta Airlines and Delta Fixtures. I don't know if that's their actual name, but they make like toilets and faucets and that kind of stuff. Fixtures. So you have the airline and you have the uh, plumbing equipment company or whatever it is. There are multiple Deltas out there and they can coexist because they are in different fields. There was a famous case about this in the music industry. Years ago, Apple Records, the Beatles record label, took objection to Apple Computer using the Apple name. And they made an agreement that said, hey, as long as you never go into music, fine, whatever. We'll let you have the name, just do not go into music. And what did Apple Computer do? They went into music. And that is why the Beatles catalog was not on iTunes for, I don't know, like 10, 15 years, quite some time after iTunes came out. Because of that dispute from back in, like I want to say, the mid to late 70s. So there can be multiple trademarks for the same name as long as you're in different industries. However, that said, if somebody now wanted to go make a new company and call it Apple Automotive, they would not be allowed to. Because names that are as big as Apple, as big as McDonald's, as big as Walmart, are protected in all categories. So that is the caveat. If the name is big enough, if it's a household brand, it applies to all categories and you're not going to get a trademark in that same category and you will probably get a cease and desist letter if you try to open a business with that name. Now, if you're using a trademark, you can claim a trademark on that. You don't have to register it. However, if you want to be protected, you need to register that trademark. This is done through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. If you're in the U.S., each country has their own organization that handles this. And when you apply, they review all other similar marks to make sure that you are not infringing on anyone. Then there's a review process where they say, okay, this has met our standards. We're going to publish it and see if anyone has opposition to this. And then if no one opposes to it, then you have a registered trademark has to be renewed every 10 years, and you have to actively use the mark to keep it alive. And not only that, you also have to actively defend it. So if you see someone using your mark, you have to have an attorney send a cease and desist. Otherwise, your mark can become what's known as diluted, which means that, well, you didn't stop other people from using it. Now they're allowed to use it as well. Trademark is incredibly complex, as is all intellectual property. So if you want to dive deeper with this, 
and you have need of a deeper dive, contact a trademark or intellectual property attorney because they can help you much more than I can. Again, this is just from my personal experience, what I've learned to be the facts around this, but it is not legal advice. Now, to get to the meat of this episode, which is what we're all here to learn about or what I'm here to talk about, copyright. Copyright is different from trademark and patents because copyright handles published works. So it could be anything from art, like music, written work, you know, books, poems. It could be films. It could be sculptures, paintings, or even computer software. Theater performances are also under copyright. Photography, under copyright. Anything creative that gets published. So if you publish it, if you make copies of it and distribute it, that's basically what copyright applies to. In the U.S., generally, if you file for a copyright now, it will be valid for the lifetime of the creator plus 70 years after the creator's death. So I'm 28. If I file for a copyright and I die at 78, that's 50 years from now, I would have 120 years of copyright because 50 plus 70 is 120. But if I were to die right now and knock on wood, that doesn't happen, then it would be 70 years from now. So the longer you live, the longer you have copyright. Now, again, that is for the U.S. and if you file for copyright now. Things that were filed in the past may have a shorter copyright period. If the author of the work is a corporation, then the timeline is a little bit different. You have 95 years from the date of publishing or 120 years from the date of creation, whichever comes first. So this is for the case where a corporation creates some kind of work that can be copyrighted, but they don't publish it for 20 years. Or maybe they don't even publish it for 30 years. And that's why there are two different time frames. But the key is that the shorter one applies. So if you create something and publish it immediately, you have 95 years instead of 120, even though you would have 120 if you waited for 25 years before publishing it. But what good is something you're sitting on for 25 years? Probably not going to be valuable in 25 years because it's out of date. It's not relevant anymore. Or maybe it is, you know? Who knows? But that decision is up to you. When it comes to copyright, it's similar to trademark in that as soon as you have it, you can claim your intellectual property. However, with copyright, it's a little more defined. Instead of saying you have to be using it, it has to be fixed in some tangible form. This means that ideas in your head, they cannot be copyrighted. However, as soon as you put those ideas down onto paper or into your voice memos app or into Microsoft Paint if you're drawing something, that is tangible and can be copyrighted. It has to be a fixed medium. And at that point, you have copyright. But that does not mean that your copyright is registered. To register your copyright, you have to go to the Library of Congress, and it's a very important step. You just go to copyright.gov to register your works. And it's surprisingly affordable. Trademark can get very expensive, but copyright is cheap in comparison. Now, when it comes to fixed medium, it can be the bare bones. Like I said, it could be a voice memo. It could be you put it down on paper. But it could also be a full-blown studio recording. But as we're talking about copyright registration and this fixed medium, note that the poor man's copyright, which is basically mailing a copy of whatever it is to yourself via certified mail so you have a date on it and then not opening the package does not hold up in court. 
That is a myth. Only a copyright filed with the Library of Congress or your country's office that handles copyright will work. You cannot use the poor man's copyright and mail things to yourself, certified mail. It does not work. Don't even bother with it. It's a waste of money. Copyright has many different categories for different types of work. The two that are relevant here are a composition and a sound recording. The composition is your song, the written work. It could be the melody and, if there are words, the lyrics of your piece. The composition is typically owned by you if you're the songwriter or whoever the songwriter is. And it's evenly split between songwriters if there are multiple songwriters and there's no other agreement made to split them in some other manner. A publisher will exploit the song for you. This is the composition. They will try to get placements in film, games, or other media where you can earn royalties. But do note that they work on a 200% model. You get 100% of the writer's share, and they get 100% of the publisher's share. Now, how do these shares split up? 50-50. So essentially, you're getting 100% of your 50%. That's all that means. You're getting 50-50. It's split. On the other side of things, you have the sound recording. This is the master recording of your song or songs, and it's typically owned by the party who paid for that recording. That could be you. That could be the label. If your studio engineer offered to do work for free, they might have said, hey, as part of this agreement, this is my work. You know, that all has to be in writing, but that is a possibility. Whoever pays for it is typically the person that owns that work. There can only be one copyright for a song. The composition of that song can only have one copyright. But there can be multiple sound recordings with a copyright for a song. That's because there can be multiple recordings of the same song. So, for example, if someone has a cover of a song, that cover has its own sound recording copyright, but contains the original composition, and therefore, royalties have to be paid to the owner of that composition. These are called mechanical royalties in the case of permanent downloads, CD sales, vinyl sales, anything like that, as well as online streaming. For permanent downloads and sales of physical or digital media, there is a statutory mechanical rate. This is the nationally set rate of how much it costs. It's very simple. If your song is five minutes or less, then it is 9.1 cents per copy sold. If your song is five minutes and one second or more, then it's 1.5 cents per minute or fraction thereof. So if you have a seven-minute song, you would just do seven times 0.0175. And then that is how many cents you're going to receive for each sale of that song. Now, I do want to point out that this applies to the duration of the recording. So if you write an 11-minute song and somebody covers it and the cover is a condensed three-minute version of it, you're going to get paid 9.1 cents. You're not going to get paid for the 11-minute song because that portion of use is only three minutes. There are many different licenses you can grant as a copyright owner, which we discussed in episode 99, Five Ways You Can Earn Royalties from Your Songs. That'll be linked in our show notes at bandhive.rocks slash 112, by the way. That's the number 112. As will Todd's episodes from earlier, a link to the Library of Congress, a link to the United States Patent and Trademark Office, as well as the trademark search engine, which is called TESS, T-E-S-S. -S. 
what I want to stress with this episode is that for musical works, it is copyright. It is not trademark. It is not patent. But there are two different copyrights. You have the copyright for the composition, which is your song, and you have the copyright for the sound recording, which is your recording of that song. Now, when you go to file a copyright, you can submit the finished sound recording as the copyright for your composition, but it's going to be on a separate form from the same file being submitted as your sound recording. This is because a sound recording is considered a derivative work of that composition. We talked about derivative works over in episode 99, so if you want to learn about how you can make money from your songs that you've written, go check out episode 99. And in the meantime, talk with your bandmates. Make sure that you have a plan in place for how the royalties are split on your songs, and then go ahead and copyright your songs, your compositions, as well as your sound recordings. And again, this is not legal advice. If you have any questions, please contact an intellectual property lawyer. I'm happy to put you in touch with an IP lawyer who is also a musician himself. Just let me know, james at bandhive.rocks. That does it for this episode of the Bandhive Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you found this episode about copyright helpful. Just wanted to say real quick, if you're not already in the Bandhive Facebook community, head on over to bandhive.rocks group or search for Bandhive on Facebook so you can join our group and discuss the music business with other like-minded artists who are looking to grow their business to the next level. We'll be back with another brand new episode next Tuesday at 6 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I hope you have a great week. Stay safe. And of course, as always, keep rocking. Hey, you. Yeah, you with the headphones or the speakers. You've made it to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. While I still have you here, if you're not already in the Bandhive Facebook community, it would be great to see you there. We have over 600 like-minded musicians who are asking questions, sharing their experiences and advice, and much more. So if you want to improve your band's business, look no further than the Bandhive Facebook community. You can find it by searching for Bandhive on Facebook, that's B-A-N-D-H-I-V-E, or going to bandhive.rocks slash group. Again, that's bandhive.rocks slash group, and that will automatically redirect you to our Facebook community. I look forward to seeing you there soon.